Brennan kicked off the whole series talking about the tension of a certain posture to, to be a, a slave in a sense. What does that mean? And, you know, everything has kind of flowed out of that because we've talked at several different junctions about the tension of how we posture ourselves in life and the tension of trusting, the tension of abiding, the tension just of holding tension. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different places that we have kind of tapped into. And this morning, as we talk about this tension, I, I think it's one that all of us in this room deal with. Maybe we're dealing with it right now. Um, but I know that in every stage of my life, as I reflect back, this tension is hit. And everyone that I talk to, um, this tension is hitting them. And it keeps hitting us over and over again, no matter what uh, season of life that we're in. And this tension is this fear of rejection, the possibility of what would happen now? Because some of us could feel like we have a social group, a setting, a place that we fit, but we can feel a tension sometimes of what if I lose it? What if it shifts? What if people move away? Or what if I have to move away? And there's tensions of changing jobs or going to a different school, all kinds of different places where this tension that we feel of the potential of rejections there. And I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit more about how this tension plays out. But the reality is, is we can't get away from it because we're social creatures. We need one another. I'm a real strong introvert, but the reality is, is that I, I, I can be away for a little while, but then I, I need connection. Without it, you're kind of like a, um, an untethered astronaut in space. You just drift and drift and drift. You've got to discover who you are in the we. There's just no other way about it. You, we need that feedback. So what will happen when I finish this sermon is I will go sit down with Sharon and with Brendan and we'll talk about wh what was set up here and what is the Spirit saying and what's happening. And I need that. I need that kind of feedback. And I the struggle that we have with it is, as soon as we fit in with a group of people, we fear this. What if? Because once we fit in with a group of people, the people start to get to know us. And once they get to know us, will they like what they know? And we worry about that kind of exile, this sense of being put out. In the story with Cain and Abel, Cain, unfortunately, makes a really bad decision, commits sin number one that we're talking about in Romans, murder, kills his brother. And so God comes down and, and begins to issue a sense of now what's going to happen. And he, he tells Cain that he's going to be sent away, and he uses this phrase, and it's a very good literal translation of what the Hebrew says. It says, you will be a restless wanderer all your days on the earth. And when Cain hears that, he buckles. He goes, that's, that's too much. And inside of all of us is this sense of, I don't want to be a restless wanderer. I want to know where my people are. I want to know where my place is. And I need that. But yet as soon as we step into it, we feel the tension that I could lose me in the we. And you can see this dynamic. So I want to 
play this little video. I want you to watch this to see how others influence our behavior. Watch this. Go ahead and roll it, Michael. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat (laughs) tries to maintain his individuality, but little by little, looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall. Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First he makes a full turn to the rear and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door. Everybody's changed positions. (laughs) Now we'll see if we can use... See if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Notice they take off their hats. And now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. The gentleman in the elevator now. Funny, how, how many are Candid Camera fans? I mean, this really dates me, but I wish they'd bring you back because there's all kinds of hysterical scenes. That actually is playing on a, an actual social psychology experiment where they did that, and the results were the same. And what's amazing about this is, is how we drift towards conforming to the we, and we lose me, your sense of self. And there's this tension that we feel, and we've got to figure out how to make it through that. There's a similar experiment called the Osh experiment where the researcher brings in four planted students um, and they know what's going on in the experiment and they'll bring in two or three other students who don't. And it's a very simple exercise that they're invited into. Um, What the professor does is he'll show one diagram that has three different lines and three different links and then he'll show uh, another diagram over here that has a line that matches the line over here. And he just says, pick which line over here matches this line. Pretty simple, right? And so initially in the experiment, the planted students will give the right answer. And of course, the person or the people that don't know what's going on, they'll give the right answer. It's very simple. But remarkably, as soon as the planted people change their answer to something different, the people who are unknowing change their answers as well. 
across the board. It's remarkable when you watch it. It's almost scary. So this tension we feel because we're, we're, we know that we need others, um, and we're trying to discover who we are, and we get all these influences. Fashion is another place where I'm always amazed at how fashion can have such a profound impact. When I was a student in high school, this was the in look. Anyone from the 70s with me here? The bell bottoms? And I don't even know what you call these shirts they got on. But just when you think fashion couldn't get any worse, remember these the leisure suits. Huh? Anyone want to confess they have one of those in their closet? It's like, how in the world do we get people to wear that stuff? It's that, that sense of trying to find me and the we. So we see it in business culture where people will take on a certain kind of appearance. There's a dress code. You see it in cycling gangs. You see it in motorcycle gangs. You see it in any gang. A certain kind of color and wear. You see it in cliques at school. You see it at teams and clubs. There's kind of this whole sense of this is how you know you're part of us as you wear the uniform, so to speak. And there's a lot of really fascinating studies about this. One of them, just incidentally, that caught my attention was they brought in people and they they had to do an attention test. And so the first part of the test would be they just came in in their street clothes and they said, we're going to flash a five-digit number and then we're going to pause and then we're going to ask you to repeat it and see if you can do it verbatim. So they, would, they went through a series of numbers. And then they gave the people a coffee break and then they brought some of them back into the room and they said, now, we want you to take a similar test, but we want you to come over here and we would like you to put on one of the doctor's coats who's conducting this research, one of these lab coats. And so some of the people were chosen and put those things on. And you know what happened? Just by putting on this doctor's lab coat, on average, 31% increase in their attentiveness. And so this idea of embodied cognition. Now to balance the test, they said, we're going to have some of you put on a painter's coat, and the painter's coat had no influence. It was the idea that someone really smart wears this, and it actually has an impact on your being. So you have all these influences that tug on us and are, are stretching us, and it's, you're trying to, in the midst of it, figure out who you are, who your people are, where are we, and this is so important because we could lose me and the we. Or we could lose our we because we're fighting so much with it. And so Paul says in this last verse in chapter 1, Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And the part that we want to highlight is that last part. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This idea of the people that you're around has an influence. That's why Scripture says, be sure of this, bad company corrupts good morals. And on the flip side of that, it's he who walks with the wise becomes wise. And so there's this sense that we want to begin to think about and the influence and how do we find our place and the tension of all that. When I think back through my story, I, th- I think 
back to third grade was kind of the first discovery my attempt to, to figure out who this Mark Spencer in the we is. And we moved from Chicago, Illinois, up to a northern city just past Milwaukee, Port Washington, midway through my third grade. Remember third grade? And, and it, for me, it, I can remember a lot. I still felt like there's a lot of things I didn't know. I was trying to figure out. Middle of the year, I felt so lost. So I go into this strange school, Lincoln Elementary, and I'm led down the hallway by this uh, teacher's aide, and they bring me in to the class. And of course, when you walk in the class, the teacher says, hey, everybody, we have a new student, spotlight on you. You're already kind of like worried. And then she, the teacher takes me over and sits me down here, and right here is a fellow named Rob Allen. And so I'm sitting there, feeling a little lost in the we, and the teacher goes back to teaching, and she goes up to the board and starts writing on the board. And out of my peripheral vision, I see Rob Allen lift his desk and pull out a straw about this long. And he takes out a spitball, puts it in the straw, to my amazement, lifts it up and launches it. And it just flies right by the teacher's head, splatters on the board. She just spins around and just looks at every single one of us. And Rob Allen was good at this because he had that baby back in the desk, lid closed, and he's, he just looks like an angel. So the teacher stares, she's looking, she doesn't say anything, just gives us that look. And so she turns around and starts writing again. Rob Allen opens his desk, takes out the straw, and he hands it to me. So there I am. I take the straw. I've never done this before. So he rips a piece of paper and tells me to put it in my mouth. I put it in my mouth and I'm chewing the spitball and I'm getting nervous and thinking, I don't know how this is going to go. And take the straw, put the spitball in it, lift it up and go. <laughs> she spins around and there I am, straw in the hand. I'm choking to death. Comes over, takes me down, walks me down to the principal's office. And to my amazement, at recess, I was the new hero of the school. Everyone was saying, you are so cool. I'm thinking, no, I'm not that cool. <laughs> but I discovered that, hey, I could make a career out of this. You know, I could be the class clown or the bad guy. And that became my image. But it wasn't really who I was. It was what I thought the group wanted from me. And I was losing myself. And, of course, I, since I was a bad boy, I started a rock band in third grade called The Weeds. <laughs> Beetle Boots. Took it, you know, and, and pretty soon that image kind of faded. And so I went to the next image where I found out, you know, I'm not that smart, but I can lift heavy things. So I started lifting weights and got big, and that became my image. And a tough guy, and I didn't like that because people, they were afraid of me. And I didn't want people to be afraid of me. It wasn't who I really was on the inside. So there's this tension that you're going through and you're trying to walk through. And it all has to do with discovering who are you and whose are you. Which is why Jesus, when he gets ready to leave his students, and he knows it hasn't gone that well with Jesus right here on the turf, what's going to happen when I leave? How are these guys going to do? So he says something very important to them. He says, hey, guys, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, guys, your safe place, your secure place is going to be in me, with me. You'll be tempted to try to find your place with other fishermen. You'll be tempted to find your place with the Pharisees or the Sadducees, whoever it is. No! There's only one place that's reliable, me. And you need to live in and abide in me. He goes on then to emphasize the fact that he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. So we can say with confidence, the Lord's my helper. I won't be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The reality is, this morning, yesterday morning, tomorrow morning, I don't think any of us are going to wake up and say, I think today I'm going to lose myself. That's not how it works. What usually happens is we step into the day and attention comes to us. And when it hits us, how we respond, in other words, are we going to be responding with him and in him, or are we going to take it on on our own, has a big uh, feature and influence on who we are. It isn't so much that you say, I'm going to lose myself. It's just in the event of the day, the tension of the day, you naturally do. Because when the tensions come, it's so easy to get absorbed in the tension itself. It could be a task at work. It could be a problem with someone you work with. It could be a teacher at school. It could be a problem you're having at home. But if you focus on that tension... It draws you in and you lose yourself in your grounding. The tension is not meant to be the focus. And if you do, what happens is the tension will take over and you'll become the tension. I was talking to a young mom. We've got some young moms out here this morning. This young mom has a few kids that are, they're young. I don't think any of them are in even preschool yet. And she was talking about how hard it is. She, she doesn't sleep well at night. She doesn't get a chance to eat. She says, I get the food made. I sit down and feed, start feeding the kids. They eat right away, and then a food fight starts, and I never get a chance to even sit down and eat a meal. So run, 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 run. She said, I just feel like my whole life is so compressed, I don't have any place to go. I don't even have time to ask those two crazy questions, Mark. She said, one day it was just so bad. All this chaos was going on, and I was surrounded by it. And this guy had called. He had done some yard work for us. He was just calling to see if we, if we wanted to come back and do this yard work. And so I answered the phone. I, the way I answered the phone was, hello! And, he, and the guy said, you know, so-and-so's name, is, is this you? Yes, it's me! I don't want to talk to you! And she slams the phone down, and she stops, and she goes, oh my gosh, what's happening to me? The tension had taken over, right? Now, maybe your tensions aren't that strong. Maybe their tensions aren't that dominant. But every single one of you in this room, if you're alive, is carrying some kind of tension. I know that. It could be a relational tension. It could be a financial tension. It could be a tension in your relationship with God. It could be a lot of different things. But you're carrying some kind of tension. And the way you're holding it has a huge influence on who you are becoming. 
And whether or not you feel settled and secure with God or feeling very insecure and overwhelmed by this tension. So I want you to take a moment right now in the privacy of your own heart just to pause and ask yourself the question, what is the tension that I'm carrying right now? And as you ask that question, I also want you just to pause for a moment and and go the next step further and to say, as I carry this tension, what's happening to me? Am I getting tense? Am I getting tired? Am I getting overwhelmed, anxious, angry? What's happening to me as I carry this tension? So the reason that we think this is so important is because we understand. Believe it or not, pastors have lives. We know there's tensions to be had. I'm carrying numerous tensions right now. Most of you are probably carrying a number of different tensions. And we realize that these tensions bring us to a place where we're either going to take it on by ourselves, like this previous slide, which leads to just being overwhelmed, or we're going to operate the way that Paul is calling us to operate. And then instead of focusing on the tension, we shift our focus to God and ask those two important questions. Lord, what do you want to say to me about this tension I'm carrying? What do you want to say? And, very important, how do you want me to respond? So oftentimes we just bypass that step and we just jump right into trying to take on this tension that we feel and fix it and straighten it out or stop it or whatever it is. And we're all entangled in the tension and it has huge forming and powers on us and influence on us. And the problem is, is we can start to feel disconnected from God because we haven't invited him. It disconnected from one another because the tension now is ruling the situation. And this is why those two questions are so important because it reshapes. Now, I want to tell you, I mean, I, every Tuesday, Brendan and Sharon and I sit down and we meet for the morning and we talk about what's happening, what's God doing here, what's God doing in your life, and we do a check-in. And when we ask the two questions... You don't get a bonus package from God as a, parent, as a pastor. God doesn't send down immediately, you know, little uh, FedEx for, or mail. or He doesn't send you an email. Dear Mark, here's the answer to your two questions. He doesn't text us. He doesn't call us. Sometimes we're waiting and watching and looking for what seems like a long time. Another tension. But the difference is, is I am doing it in concert with God as opposed to just feeling like I'm on my own with my own limited resources. Can you see that? And that's why the two questions are so paramount. It's why we talk about them. And the reality is, is when you're going to preach a sermon like this, 
you wind up, of course, practicing the sermon, which happened to me this last week on Wednesday. I've got a group of guys that I've been meeting with for over three years, and they're kind of an unlikely group. Uh, Most of us are introverts. We have one extrovert who's joined our group, and we were okay with that because we figured if there were seven introverts against one extrovert, we could change them. (laughs) But he's holding fast. But this group of guys is quite a group of guys, really nice group of guys, though, and we, we slowly have gotten to know each other, which, as you get to know each other, it feels a little risky because they're getting to know me. And I'm not there as a pastor. I'm just there as a guy. And they're getting to know me. Not too long ago, we went through each of our life stories, which was amazing. It was amazing just to hear one another's stories. And what I noticed is, you know, we would meet from 6.30 to 8, and it used to be at 8 o'clock, all the introverts would jump up and run for the door. It's kind of like, I had enough of this, you know, social time. But when we started sharing our stories risking being known, a lot of times it went past 8 o'clock, and 8 o'clock would roll by, and they'd finish their story, and no one moved. It was like that mesmerizing feeling when you're staring at a campfire. You know what I mean? Why does everyone just sit around and stare at the flames? But it was like that moment where we just, I don't know, it was holy ground. Felt connected. But again, you're getting to be known, and you're risking vulnerability. So, not so bright, Mark Spencer decides last Wednesday to ask the guys, hey guys, would you share with me one tension you're carrying and how you're carrying that tension? What's it it doing to you? How are you handling it? And usually what I do is I'll start asking the questions and I'll go last in the hopes that we run out of time. So it's like, oh, look at the time. Sorry, we got to go, guys. But they've been really good at calling me out on that, saying, no, 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 no. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, Spencer. Go ahead. So, I knew what the tension was. It's really obvious. Sometimes the tension that you're carrying is just like right here. Do you know what I mean? And my tension, I'm risking. It's, it's embarrassing for me. But we've lived in the same house for 21 years. We've raised five kids there. Kids put a lot of wear and tear on the house. And I'm not very handy. And I I would much rather work with people than work with a thing, like a house. And so it's very convenient as a counselor and as a pastor to just put off fixing the house. Well, after 21 years of use, you got to start doing something, otherwise the roof's going to fall down on top of you. And God bless Betsy Spencer, because she's a saint. She's she's just put up with a lot of half-started projects and a lot of different things. So these guys, these rascals had got me in the corner, and I, needed, I had to say that. I, I knew that was the tension I was carrying. And they've gotten so good now, they just kind of smirked. They kind of enjoyed roasting me over the fire. And one of them said, well, why don't you ask for help? Ah! Help! Help means you're weak. Help means you're stupid. I'm not asking for help. But see, that's the other thing that God's been working on for the last two years with Spencer. Mark, H-E-L-P, say it with me. But it's so scary. If I open up my house, if I show you the condition of it, if I ask for help, 
You might walk away going, whew, you're a piece of work, and I'm out. I feel like it's pushing all the chips up into the pot and saying, I'm betting the whole deal. If I just open up that piece. And that's what happens when you're carrying attention, isn't it? It's like, if anybody knew this was the tension I'm carrying, oh, what would they do? What would they say? How would they react? And yet we are invited to step in. And you can't possibly do that apart from him. And without it, the tensions crush us. Don't they? So before we move on to chapter 2, before we get that, I just thought, let's pause and talk about the tension of carrying tensions. How are we doing that? Are we asking the two questions? And then are we risking inviting others in to help us with whatever the tension is we're carrying? I'm risking. I want to invite you to risk too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. Boy, we talk about risk. Woo! You come down and put on a suit of flesh. Share your life like you did. Man. So as we get ready to do this offering, as we open up our wallets and our purses, I know, Lord, what you're really wanting is that we'd open up our life. You know the tensions that are represented in this room. You see them. You watch the weight that bears on people's hearts and it breaks yours because you want to be the God who daily bears our burdens. Help us. Help us. Let this be the Sunday where that changes, where grace, where your spirit comes and liberates us and we find that we're really free to say, Lord, help. What do you want to say? How do you want me to respond? So we give you this offering time. We give you this worship time. We invite your presence to come and to help us with these tensions we carry. In Jesus' name, amen.
Oh.